Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, Part 1. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for Part 2 in your podcast feed. Welcome to the Community IT Innovators presentation on data cybersecurity at nonprofits. Um, today, we're going to talk specifically around a subsection of cybersecurity and keeping your data secure in all the tools that you use that store the data that is important to your organization. Hopefully, you have all taken some steps around cybersecurity at your organization in general. And if you need a refresher, we have many videos, podcasts, and articles on our website around general cybersecurity, including a nonprofit framework playbook that you can download for free. But today, I'm excited to be talking with our experts about additional steps and policies you need to take to secure data in all the tools that you use. Some you may not even have thought were at risk. Now, my name is Carolyn Woodard. I'm the Outreach Director for Community IT, and I'm the moderator today. And I'm very happy to hear from our experts. So, Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Great. Thanks, Carolyn. It's great to be here on uh, October Cybersecurity Month. My name is Matthew Eshelman, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Community IT. Uh, in my role at Community IT, um, I'm kind of responsible for two areas. So one is the backend systems that we use to manage our uh, nearly 7,000 endpoints, um, and also work with clients on their solutions architecture and cybersecurity planning. So to be a part of. Uh, and I'm happy to be joined by my colleague, David Deal. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, I'm a founding partner at Build Consulting, where I've been since 2015. And uh, my work is as a virtual CIO for mid-sized and large nonprofits. Uh, so one of the things I focus on in that role is cybersecurity. So uh, Build works exclusively with nonprofits, uh, mid-sized and large nonprofits, mostly across the U.S., a little bit internationally. Uh, Build is passionately independent of any vendors. So although we keep uh, close tabs on what Microsoft and Salesforce and Blackbaud and Bonterra and others are doing, uh, we are not uh, partners with any of them and don't receive money from uh, any of these vendors. Uh, so we really sit on our client's side of the fence in making technology decisions. Uh, so we do a lot of technology and data strategy work, uh, virtual CIO work that I mentioned, um, and really combine uh, deep technology experience with an appreciation for an understanding of organizational change management, uh, which is really important for uh, everything technology related, but also cybersecurity, because so much of cybersecurity is about behavior and policies and processes as much as it is technology. 
Thanks so much, David. I'm so glad you could join us today and share your expertise. Um, so before we begin, if you're not familiar with Community IT, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us. We are a 100% employee-owned managed services provider. We provide outsourced IT support, and we work exclusively with nonprofit organizations. And our mission is to help nonprofits accomplish their missions through the effective use of technology. We are big fans of what well-managed IT can do for your nonprofit. We serve nonprofits across the United States. We've been doing this for over 20 years. We are technology experts, and we are consistently given the MSP 501 recognition for being a top MSP, which is an honor we received again in 2023. So I would like to remind everyone that for these presentations, Community IT is also vendor agnostic. We only make recommendations to our clients and only based on their specific business needs. We never try to get a client into a product because we get an incentive or benefit from that. We do consider ourselves a best of breed IT provider. So it's our job to know the landscape, what tools are available, reputable, and widely used. And we make recommendations on that basis for our clients based on their business needs, priorities, and budget. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about our learning objectives for today. Um, at the end of the presentation today, we hope that you will understand what nonprofits need to do to secure your data, learn the common risks, learn best practices for data security, understand data governance, be familiar with cybersecurity technology terms and concepts. We're going to leave as much time as we can for Q&A, um, but you can submit your questions through the Q&A feature at any time, and I'll either break in to ask them if they're kind of timely with uh, something our experts are talking about, or I'll save them for the end. All right, so we are going to start with a poll. So um, we're hoping that you can help us. This is a multiple choice question. Where do you store data? So we've got several answers here and please answer all of them that apply. So you may have a custom database um, with SQL, Airtable, or other custom databases. You may store data in spreadsheets. I'm guilty of that right here. Um, you may store data in an enterprise resource planning tool. A customer relationship management tool, those are often also called a CRM. You may have an HR information system or HRIS. You might be storing your data in SharePoint and Google Drive. You may have a data warehouse. You may have something other completely where you're staying, you know you're storing your data there, but it's a different system than the above, um, or it might not be applicable to you. Um, you're either not at a nonprofit, you don't have any data, I, I don't know, but um, so, something else not applicable. David, would you mind uh, reading through the results? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, uh, one of the lowest ones on the list is uh, data warehouse, only 6% of respondents. Uh, next lowest was ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning System. However, I bet if you uh, uh, apply the ERP label to uh, financial accounting systems, uh, even things like QuickBooks, that that would be 100%. Um, let's see, uh, the next lowest was custom databases, weighing in at 30%. Uh, 
and some others were uh, spreadsheets, about two thirds of people, CRM, about 70%, HRAS, about 39%, and SharePoint, Google Drive, 82%. Presumably the others are using uh, Box, Dropbox, uh, something like that. Um, and then uh, there was also a very a few people weighed in for other as well. Sorry, I think I, I cut that off a little bit early. Sorry about that, David. <laughs> that, that is all right. I, you know, I think the the key point here, and uh, you know, it's a little bit of a trick question. Like we we expected most people to check most of these boxes. Like this software, most organizations have really most of these types of of uh, systems, perhaps with the exception of custom databases and and data warehouse, which are a little less common these days. Um, and the, the main point is data is everywhere. It's in all of these systems and it's in a lot of other systems as well. Which leads us into our, our first topic. So we wanted to give a little bit of an intro into what nonprofits need to do to secure their data and what practices should be in place in all instances, and then maybe some additional practices that should be considered for the most sensitive data. And I think, David, you also wanted to talk a little bit about for this webinar, what, you know, kind of what we're considering data in the systems that we're talking about. Yeah, I, well, I think a couple of points I wanted to make at the beginning here are if you are a cybersecurity uh, expert, if that's your job, I'm not sure you'll get a ton from this webinar. We, we're really designing this webinar for people who are either IT practitioners who don't have much of a focus on cybersecurity yet, uh, or perhaps non-IT leaders who are responsible for IT. Uh, and really our focus is on, here's some of the things you should be considering uh, for your cybersecurity measures. Uh, we, you know, we're not going very, in, very much into a deep dive into any of them. It's more of a, a broad scan of here are the types of technologies, practices, processes you should be considering. Second thing I'll say is this is primarily not about network infrastructure and securing infrastructure and devices. Uh, the idea behind this webinar was there's something that that often falls in the gap between what a nonprofit uh, staff are responsible for and what a nonprofit's managed IT services provider or IT provider is responsible for. And we wanted to focus some on how are nonprofits coping with that and addressing that. Yeah, thank you for that. I would say that if you are um, a cybersecurity expert, it would make sense to follow David and Matt on LinkedIn um, because I'm sure you'll have a lot to talk about. But yes, for this uh, webinar, we wanted to make sure to um, you make it accessible to people who need to manage this security and um, whatever level of security experience they have. All right. So, um, Matt, I think you were going to to ask David about some of these items. Yeah. So, David, I think it was a you know good overview to frame security about data as kind of separate and distinct from kind of the traditional view of you know network security and kind of file and folder level security. So, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about kind of that distinction and kind of how threats to business applications you know, maybe a little bit different or have a different, um, you know, view on them than, you know, threats to your network infrastructure. Yeah, so uh, we've outlined a, a few threats that we find to business applications here. Um, one of the most well-known is ransomware. 
Uh, although I'll say most ransomware deals with uh, file systems, you know, your Google Drive, your your SharePoint, uh, and encrypting files of that nature. So, in all likelihood, that is something uh, that an MSP is probably uh, probably helping you with. I think when we think about business applications, uh, data corruption is uh, you know one of the the things that can happen both intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, for example. Uh, accidental data deletion or intentional data deletion, for example, from a departing disgruntled employee. Uh, most of these cloud systems only retain data for 30 days. So if something gets deleted and you don't recognize it for 30 days, you know, what recourse do you have? Um, other possibilities include things like an errant upload or import of data that can also corrupt uh, data in uh, your database or application. Um, I think uh, another common uh, threat to the business applications is really that the data will be stolen, sensitive data will be stolen. Uh, I was the victim of this myself with uh, DC Health Exchange had a big uh, data breach and that has caused all kinds of troubles. That was data being stolen, you know, from a database, from a business application. Um, and uh, uh, I think that is one of the big security risks there. Uh, something else that uh, is really on my, my mind these days is uh, AI. And, you know, AI offers some great possibilities and opportunities to, to all of us in different ways. But it's a tool that can be used uh, just as easily for uh, by hackers uh, and, and people who are up to no good and, and trying to get into your systems. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think in part because of AI, uh, the threat, and and because of other reasons as well, but in part because of AI, the threat to nonprofits and cybersecurity continues to increase. Uh, you know, deep fakes are better. Uh, scanning for and exploiting vulnerabilities is uh, faster, uh, more automated. Um, and so, really, I have a question for you here, Matt, which is, you know, with hackers using uh, AI. You know, what do you think that means for the cybersecurity measures that nonprofits should take? Does is this a game changer for nonprofits in their cybersecurity? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that I would go so far as saying it's a game changer, but I do think that it's just kind of another step in the ongoing, you know, kind of efficiency improvement and focus of of just kind of what it means to be a victim of cybercrime. Um, and I use the term cybercrime intentionally because. Uh, I think it's important for organizations to understand that every organization is vulnerable. Every organization has um, data that could be used or manipulated. Um, and so, you know, these, you know, these at attackers are using the tools that are available to automate and speed their way into kind of that, that financial aspect of crime. Now, I think there are certainly some organizations that may be at a higher risk for, um, you know, uh, what we call like advanced, you know, uh, threat actors that are really looking to get embedded in the organization and kind of see what's going on. But for the vast majority of cyber criminals, you know, they're trying to target your systems, encrypt the data, exfiltrate data, use it as as a ransom so that they can ultimately get paid. Um, and I think, you know, understanding that financial dimension of cyber crime is important. And yeah, I think these AI tools are only going to make it um, easier and faster for these exploits to come uh, as they become more uh, commoditized and commercialized. Uh, and so, you know, those resources become, you know, widely available, just as we, you know, we're using AI tools to speed and automate our response. Uh, you know, the other side is as well. 
I think the other point, uh, thank you for that, Matt. The other point I wanted to make just about, uh, you know, the risks to business applications is the proliferation of applications and data. Uh, it's extraordinary when uh, we go into organizations and inventory the the applications they're using or the places they're storing data. Um, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it, it was half. It was a quarter of what it is now, but it's so easy to spin up a new application now for a few okay. users that uh, data is everywhere. And so there's really, that creates complexity in cybersecurity because you have a vastly increased surface area uh, for attacks. You have uh, a, many more places where that data is stored and that data is vulnerable. It isn't just on servers on your uh, on your network. It's across numerous cloud applications, multiple backup solutions. Uh, and, and so really one of the tactics for uh, dealing with this and managing it, uh, it, it's really data governance and having a data inventory. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the presentation. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we could look a little bit at some of the uh, best practices here. I think, uh, so Matt, you've started to talk just a little bit about it, but what do you consider to be um, kind of the the things that every nonprofit should be doing? And then what are some things that nonprofits who want to uh, to have kind of a stronger cybersecurity measures, what, what things should they be considering? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, I'll kind of dovetail into what you said in terms of starting with a data inventory. If you don't know what you have, it becomes very difficult to protect that. And so I think one of the things that we see whenever we come in and do, you know, security assessments is just understanding how many different user accounts you still have and what systems do they have access to? And so with this proliferation of data, you can have sensitive data in systems that, you know, not maybe IT isn't aware of or uh, user accounts that are active, that are still active in systems that have sensitive data because the offboarding request never, never made it back to IT, or maybe that's a disconnected system and IT, you know, doesn't even manage access to those accounts. And so I think, you know, having that data systems inventory, understanding, you know, which users have access to which systems and which systems, you know, may require extra protection is, is really foundational. Um, you know, the other foundational element and one of the reasons why we like single sign-on so much is that it helps to um, kind of funnel down and, and give you a better way to manage and audit user access. So instead of trying to look at sign-in logs for 10 or 15 or 20 different systems through the use of single sign-on, you can, you know, look at that all through a through you know single pane of glass, uh, ensuring that MFA is in place and well protected for the user, you know, as they're entering those applications, as opposed to having single sign on, or as opposed to having multi-factor authentication and a separate username and password for ten or fifteen or twenty different systems. So, um, having a good sense of the, you know, applications that are in use, having a sense of which users need to have access, um, you know, I think that that is a those are kind of foundational elements. I think once you go beyond that. Then we're starting to look at uh, more detailed audit and reporting controls, um, you know, so that, you know, you can answer the question, you know, who had access to what data when and be able to have some stronger audit and reporting controls. You know, as David mentioned previously, you know, I think some of the most likely causes of, of data loss at an organization are, you know, end user driven, either intentional or unintentional. Um, and unless those tools and systems are put in place at the 
you know, at the beginning, uh, it's very hard to kind of go back and, and get that information out of a system. If you want to know, you know, which user went and looked at all the donation history of, you know, the the top donors, and is that something they need to do for their job? Um, so I think once you get these systems established, having more granular, um, you know, access roles, being able to be a little bit more uh, precise in terms of granting access, you know, those are things that we see being important. And then also having clear uh, data retention requirements. So I think organizations have now gotten to a point where they understand that the data that they have is not just an asset, but it also represents a liability as well. And so, you know, if if there's not a good reason to keep, you know, some data in your organization, it's a good practice or a good idea to develop, uh, you know, that data retention policy that you can say, you know, we, we absorb this information and we use it. And then at some point, if we don't have a legitimate use for it, we're going to, you know, move it on so that, you know, if and when we do get compromised, uh, you know, we only really have to do reporting against the organization, you know, against the users in our system um, that we're actively engaged with and not, you know, people that we may have contacted, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and then, you know, I think the other piece around that data uh, retention requirement is is really driving into the the backups and, and kind of the recovery piece, because I think, um, you know, the ransomware and encryption, I think, gets a lot of headlines. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're relying on a recovery strategy to be able to restore access to those systems. Um, and so making sure that that those systems and processes are in place with a lot of cloud systems, there may be limitations on what you can do as a, as a customer and you're relying on the vendor to provide that. So having a clear understanding of what happens in these scenarios, what are the service level agreements uh, are very important steps. It's a different mindset from the, you know, I got my data on the server and I'm going to re restore that. You know, you may re be relying on vendors. Uh, and then again, there's an advent of a lot of, you know, pretty sophisticated uh, security tools that can help run on this concept of DLP or data loss prevention as a way to, to ensure that, uh, you know, sensitive data maybe isn't exported or your systems are, are protected against people, you know, accidentally sending credit card information or maybe social security number or birthday information for, uh, for people that are in the database. So, um, but I think it really starts, you know, rooted in some of that kind of policy and planning framework. Um, and then that can help inform the technology solutions that you choose to implement. We have Speaking. a couple of, I'm sorry, David, if I can just jump in, there were a couple of questions in the Q&A. So if you can hold that thought. Um, one was, can you just give us a basic uh, explanation of third-party backups? What what does that mean when you say that? Mm -hmm. So a third-party backup would be a way to get information out of your primary system into a separate cloud. So a common example for us is an Office 365 backup of email or, or maybe SharePoint data. Um, Microsoft is providing some protections of your data, but they, you know, if something is deleted and you don't discover it for, you know, three months, that data might be not, might not be available to be recovered. And so having that data in a third-party system gives you a way to you know, recover it, restore it if that's required for, you know, just general productivity, or maybe uh, there's a, a legal case that requires you to have access to that data. So again, having data outside of your primary system so that you're able to get it back um, 
because the vendor is likely not not keeping it for as long as you you want or think they should. And so that's and like then, a vendor, a third party vendor that you just do some kind of sync to regularly. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think there are Go a ahead. couple of methods. I'll just add a little bit to that. Um, like really, any cloud system, uh, you know, including CRMs, Salesforce, Dynamics, uh, really any system you're using. Uh, out of the box, you're depending upon that vendor's backup uh, to kind of keep it running. And for the most part, it's a lot more reliable than I would say servers used to be when they were on, you know, nonprofits networks. Uh, but they're not perfect. Data gets deleted, uh, files get lost, et cetera. And the vendor backups are usually only good for a relatively short period of time. And so that's why you 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 really need to consider like when might a third-party backup be warranted? Uh, this is not just uh, in the domain of really large organizations to do this. Even a small nonprofit, even if you're not using a third-party backup tool, you might, for example, periodically do a manual export from your CRM just to have another copy of that data somewhere secure. Um, so I I did want to mention that. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, so I'll turn it back to you, Carolyn. I think there's another question there. There is another question. I see, Matt, that you're answering it, but I wonder if you might also answer it live. So a little bit more about single um, single uh, sign-on and um, the size that single sign-on makes sense as a tool. Um, I don't know if you if that's an easy answer or if that's a specific question. So single sign-on is a way that you can use your kind of primary identity you know, you're logging into Office 365 or Google Workplace, and then you can use that identity to then access other systems that, you know, have this ability to be integrated. So you don't have to have a separate username and password to access Salesforce. For example, Salesforce trusts Google to, to authenticate you into that system. Um, so unfortunately, you know, the system configuration takes kind of basically the same amount of time to set up, whether you're a 10-person organization or whether you're a 100-person organization. So it can be a little bit expensive, um, you know, to justify, again, if you're a 10-person organization. At that size, we typically see organizations using password managers, which are helpful because they give you the ability to have, you know, strong, unique passwords for all those different applications. So, you know, starting with a password manager is a good idea. You know, once you become... You know, maybe at 25 people or or, or larger, uh, or maybe if you have a lot of different uh, cloud applications, then single sign-on becomes maybe a little bit easier to justify. Um, but again, the the cost is is kind of the same to set it up whether you're a 10-person organization or or a 100-person organization. No, that's that seems like good advice. So I think there are a lot of password managers out there, and you can get you know a pretty good one for for what you need until you get a little bit bigger. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, part one. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for part two in your podcast feed. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment.
Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.